before it is now 9 a.m on the nose once again wednesday the 27th of may and this is community pulse your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-missouri as a reminder you can catch community pulse monday through thursday 9 a.m live here on kopn your community radio station all episodes can also be found online at kopn.org and we post them on our facebook page as well This morning, we are so very pleased to welcome back guest host Ginny Chadwick, who will be discussing COVID-19 matters with two guests. Dr. Peter Stiepelman will be on a little bit later from Columbia Public Schools to talk about the summer plans. But first, it is Jackie Edelstein, who is a community volunteer, does some great work in terms of sewing and masking. Jackie and Ginny, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. And Jackie, thanks for being on. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm going to run through the numbers really quickly, and then I want to jump into the talk about masks and what's going on here in Boone County and the state and around the country. So right now we're at 5,615,689 cases globally with 351,077 deaths. Um, in the United States, we have 1.6 million cases. And I've, I've said before, I don't want these to just be numbers as they come in, because I know often they are, but we now have almost 100,000 deaths in our country. And, you know, that's more than the last 60 years of wars all combined. In the state of Missouri, we have 12,655 cases total, with adding 199 cases just yesterday. So we have a seven-day average of new cases of 184. We now have 92% of our counties reporting new cases, adding Monroe and Shannon County with 702 deaths, five deaths yesterday from COVID. Here in Boone County, we have currently 25 new cases in the last 15 days. Um, That's uh, a significant increase after we were um, showing no new cases for quite a while. Um, So When we look at the breakdown of that, we have 11 cases from known contact, but 11 cases are community transmission where we don't know where we can the virus. And so we have 62 people in quarantine, meaning they were directly exposed to somebody with COVID and 25 people in isolation right now. So when we look at the new order that went into place here in Boone County, uh, we have our capacity of allowing people to open all bars and restaurants. And when we look at the stay-at-home order, it does require masks for people in personal care um, professions. And so hair salons, nail um, salons, they are required, if you're in close proximity to your customer, you are required to wear a mask. And that is definitely looser than what we see across the country. Jackie, and I'm not sure if you want to talk about what's specifically happening in Boone County first, or if we want to just cover, like, nationally, 39 states have some form of mask wearing, either at a state or local level. Um, Jackie, do you want to talk about what you guys are doing here in Boone County on masks? Sure. Um, Well, we started um, So for Safety as a Facebook group, sort of out of a a big worry of what was coming. So I, um, I'm, I'm not a medical person. I'm just a, I'm a graphic designer. I'm a civilian. Um, I was chatting with a friend on Facebook who's a nurse and we thought people have so many questions. How can we sort of organize this need? 
So we started So for Safety to kind of um, figure out what the best mask options were, get rid of that information, and then help people who wanted to to make masks for our frontline workers. So through that process, we learned a lot of do's and don'ts about masks. And now, um, and we eventually gave out around 2,000 masks, probably more, that were made by local volunteers. And they use our resources, which are open to anyone. Um, and they use those. Sorry, I kind of got lost. Um, and then oh, we, totally we help them. Sorry, we, we sort of coordinated the makers with who needed the masks. So there's forums where people can request masks. So health facilities or, um, you know, uh, businesses that are essential that need to, that want to protect their workers, especially in the beginning where masks were not available. So that's kind of where we started. And now we're much yeah, more I've organized. Been so yeah. impressed watching the group unfold. So obviously specific to a certain region, um, is right. that correct? Yeah, we're, we're trying counties? to, yeah, we're, tra- we make masks for people in the local area. Um, I think mm-hmm. we've gone to Fulton. I don't know if that's Boone County or not. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it's okay. Geographically yeah. challenged, but now we're, um, we're seeing the requests. Not, they're not as sort of frantic, but they are still coming mm-hmm. in. So we're still taking donations and passing them around and we're sort of gearing up again for the second wave. We're, we're how, anticipating the need will rise. Right. How have you prioritized where those masks go when the community is able to make them? We, we uh, prioritize our frontline workers. So most of the masks go to healthcare workers, um, you know, skilled facilities, assisted living centers. We've given some. We also take requests from individuals, say, if someone has is a compromised immune system and has to go out and can't find a mask, uh, we will happily give it to them. Um, it's been, there's no real formula for how we do it. We just try to meet all the needs and we eventually get there. And so if somebody was wanting to help out um, in the community and providing materials or sewing the mask or helping to distribute, how could they engage in that process? Um, everything can be done pretty easily through our Facebook Page and we have these forms, so you can say, I'd like to donate my time or materials or money, um, and then we sort of organize that. So you, we have a drop-off location, usually centrally located. It changes like every three weeks or so, and people can drop off things there. They can also pick up materials there, so people donate money, and then our volunteers go out and buy the materials and can either deliver them to the sewers or... Um, or they can come pick them up depending on, you know, how they how comfortable they are. We also, uh, one of our volunteers invented this thing called the Hail Mary, um, I forget what it's called, Hail Mary bag. And it has, like, everything sort of pre-cut for you. So it has the material and the nose wire and some kind of uh, band to hold the mask in place. And then we can deliver those, and then the, our makers sew them, and we pick them up and distribute them accordingly. Awesome. So as um, Jackie said, and we'll make sure to put on the KOPN website, the Facebook page, the group is Sewing for Safety. It's here in Columbia, Missouri. Um, it's called, sorry, Sew so for Safety. So Sew so for Safety. Sorry yeah, about that. That's okay. For the correction. Um, and, you know, community members can engage. I know I helped out just one day by calling um, local health care centers to see if they needed um, masks 
um, and had a need for it. So, Jackie, thank you for what you're doing for our community. Is there any last words or thoughts that you would want us to know about mask wearing before we skip over to Peter, Dr. Steepleman? Yeah, just a uh, just a brief plug for how how you know our our site is for frontline workers, but we do have a lot of useful information about how to make your own mask and uh, the importance of wearing it to stop the spread within our community. There's a lot of misinformation about mask wearing and from everything we've gathered. And, you know, recently there was a study from Hong Kong that said that wearing masks could stop the spread by 75%. So it's just important. We really are here to educate and also facilitate giving people masks. So we hope everyone stays educated. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jackie. And we can have a whole nother show on that. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate you coming on. And um, Um, yes, thank you so much for having the show. Absolutely. Thank you very much, uh, Ginny and Jackie. That was uh, a quite informative discussion. So we will have Dr. Peter Siepelman. He is the superintendent for Columbia Public Schools. He'll be joining us now on the air. Sir, how are you this morning? Hi, good morning to you. Dr. Stiefelman, thank you so much for joining us. Are you kidding? Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So I know that we've all been curious what's going to happen over the summer with our kiddos. So I wanted to give you an opportunity, Dr. Alleman covered on the show, um, just some thoughts about what we should do with our kids over the summer. So can you let us know what CPS is doing for um, education for our kids and opportunities? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, because there's been so much uncertainty and there continues to be um, real and viable concerns about COVID-19, and because we have an obligation and a commitment to follow the health department's orders, um, our summer school offerings have been exclusively put on a virtual platform. So um, in the months of June and July, there are opportunities for online courses for summer school. And so um, in June, we typically have online for credit recovery and also credit advancement. And then in July, we'll also be running credit uh, advancement. So this is for students who are interested in pursuing courses that are um, that they're obligated to take for a high school diploma in the state of Missouri. Uh, and often they take these courses as a way to free up their schedule for the courses that are more aligned to the careers they, they plan to pursue Uh, after high school. And Dr. Siepelman, I know there's been so much concern and rightly so about access for students. And so what has CPS done to help with making sure that our um, student population has access to the online platform? Sure. I'm glad that you asked that because really early on, our director of technology, her name is Arla Monroe, who is pretty wonderful, was really quickly... um, asking and and asking for authorization to begin purchasing hotspots so that uh, students who don't have reliable internet at their homes, including adults uh, who are staff members who may not have reliable internet at their home, uh, to have the ability to do that. And so uh, our initial order was 800 hotspots. Um, We have a couple hundred still left, but we have been distributing them, mailing them to homes, including hardware. So if uh, a student's device, their laptop or their iPad uh, breaks, Uh, They simply have Mm -hmm. to reach out to us, and we are sending them to their homes uh, so that they have access. Because we know uh, throughout the state and throughout the nation, that's one of the big um, items that that 
school districts and communities are learning, uh, it's it's where you have these inequities are are amplified for families that have means and those who don't. And and we don't want to restrict access for kids. So hotspots have been uh, ordered and distributed, uh, and laptops and iPads, depending on the grade level, have been distributed. And um, and we plan to do that in the fall too, if we need to. And um, we're holding on to all the receipts as well because we've been told that either SEMA or FEMA will reimburse us for those costs. And so uh, it's important for you know taxpayers who are thinking about these things um, from all perspectives that we're making sure that we're providing access and then that we're getting reimbursed to the fullest extent that we may be able to. And you mentioned, um, you know, that that would be available in the fall too if needed. And I think that we're all wondering. And I really appreciate as a CPS parent, um, the email that I received yesterday about the thought exchange, which was a forum for parents to express their um, top priorities for children returning back, students returning back to school in the fall. Do you want to share a little bit about the thought exchange? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to talk about that. It's, it's a pretty marvelous tool, and I'm looking at it right now as I talk to you. So we have 3,183 participants so far, 5,034 thoughts, and get this, 140,000 ratings. <laughs> so what that means is, is that we asked a, an overarching question. It means that we're, our community is a little judgy. No, but it means that uh, as a as We a, love to uh, give our input. We, we, yeah, exactly. We are an opinionated community. Um, so the question is, uh, what is the most important thing that the Columbia Public School District should consider as it prepares for a return in August? And so uh, we want to be incredibly transparent. We want to be incredibly um, uh, forthcoming in saying, look, there are conversations throughout the entire country and even here regionally about what should the fall look like and how should we pursue a return? And so we know, and what we've said publicly is we're looking at everything from a traditional return, right, where we just have our get the scoop nights, open house, we go back to school and everything is as it has always been. And boy, I know everybody wants that. And we also have to be prepared for the, the very reality that, that that may not be possible. And so then we've looked at what is a fully remote learning model potentially look like. And so we've been doing some exploration with that. We've been um, asking our colleagues at Columbia College who have been doing online teaching for the last 20 plus years to help us understand and learn how to do online teaching. Because I think if you were a parent, you saw pretty quickly that that's not a skill set or a training that we have done in the past for our teachers. And so we were trying to say one minute in the classroom is equivalent to one minute online. And that was really, um, that wasn't as successful as we had hoped. And so uh, we know that if so we're going Peter, to return, I'm going to stop you because I want yeah. to cut, cover two more things before we um, sure. run out of and time. And the last thing so, is a hybrid, is a hybrid. Yeah. So it, where the one, you know, some some type of combination. So we're asking our community, tell us what we should be thinking about as we as we approach the, the fall. Mm-hmm. And we just really don't know what it's going to look like in the fall with numbers as they um, seem to be stable right now in the state of Missouri, but it's really hard to say as we as we loosen these distance restrictions and stay-at-home orders. Um, one more thing I really want to address before we talk about the ballot issue that's coming up is that um, children hunger, right? We know that it's a huge issue nationally. Um, can you let us know how many um, people you guys have on free and reduced lunch within um, the Columbia Public School District by percentage, and what are you doing to make sure that our children are still fed during the school closing? Yeah, I'm glad you you returned back to access. 
Yeah, I'm glad you returned yeah. us back to that question of access. So in terms of technology, we took care of, we're taking care of that. And in terms of food, we're also making our best effort on that as well. So um, from uh, March until now, we've been uh, operating uh, school buses who have been delivering food to 80 different bus stops around the city and serving about 1,300 meals a day, which is a lot, but it is nowhere near the number of students who participate in free and reduced lunch. About 9,000 kids a year uh, participate, about 46% of our, of our school district. And now we know that families um, are experiencing um, situational poverty, right? A, a family who has lost right. their job or has had to close their business um, or who is now being furloughed and is trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet. And so as we continue through the summer and provide meals, we are going to continue this through the end of July into the beginning of August. And so um, we would encourage anyone who is interested and, and wanting to participate that they should go to those bus stops and, and grab a meal. There's no requirement in terms of income or anything like that. If you need food, go grab it and we'll provide it. And so we're providing the meals, we're preparing meals, and then some amazing um, uh, organizations have stepped forward, whether it's the United Way, Veterans United, the Anderson Charitable Foundation, uh, Como Helps, um, I'm where are those bus stops located? And, uh, it's and on how our website. So, so cpsk12.org and then backslash COVID-19. And then there's a map with the bus stops and the times that those buses will be there. So please don't, don't hesitate to grab it. And we've been pushing those messages out to families via text message to say, here's, here's the list of where all the bus stops are. Great. We have... The, you know, obviously the election got postponed, so we are voting on Tuesday, and there's yes. a ballot issue for the school district on there. Do you want to cover that briefly? Yes, for us? I Let see. Us know I what's on minutes. the ballot and what's going to happen if we vote yes on that ballot initiative? So if the community votes yes, uh, then the community will have authorized a $20 million no tax increase bond. And it's really important the difference between bonds and levies. So a bond is for building. It can't be used for operating costs, can't be used for salaries, can't be used for benefits. It's clearly and ex explicitly used for building. And so this $20 million bond is part of a 10-year plan that the school board has been really marvelous about establishing. And this is for uh, $7.5 million just to build an addition on one of our elementary schools because we are growing as a school district. As you know, we're now the fifth largest school mm -hmm. district with 19,000 children. $6 million is to uh, continue to renovate Jefferson Middle School, our oldest building in our portfolio, and to make the building accessible. And so when I talk about accessibility, right now it's in compliance, but it's not accessible. And so um, we want to be able to put in a, a full elevator uh, system in there so that you can access every floor. $3.3 million is to improve the high school athletic fields. Another $2 million to continue ADA projects, uh, um, accessibility projects throughout the district, and then a $1 million for safety and security. It is super important um, that these, these funds are dedicated and they are authorized for those explicit projects. And so um, I know the community has been incredibly supportive in the past. I can't tell you how to vote. I'm not allowed to by law. So, uh, but I think you can understand how, 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 how much I, I believe how important in, in it is to our community. <laughs> how important yes. it is to and, vote. Yes, and when we say a no tax a no tax increase, can you explain what that means to people? Because sure, I think oftentimes we say, does that mean that nothing changes as far as what I pay in my taxes? That's exactly right, because the tax rate stays the same. And so in, in August of every year, when they set the tax rate, it would remain the same. And so what this essentially is, is about is the community authorizing um, almost like a mortgage. And so it, it, it now is a it would be a 20 year payoff. Um, and that we would we would that the community is saying, yes, you can put um, money each year towards paying off that debt, um, but it will not increase my taxes. 
Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Siebelman, for coming Thank you on for having and having me. a I really appreciate brief it. moment to answer our I question. I know, but you, you did it. Thank you so much. I really, really, truly appreciate it. KOPN, back to you. And thank you, listeners. Thanks very much, Ginny. We sincerely appreciate that. We'd also like to thank Dr. Peter Stiepelman. He is the superintendent for Columbia Public Schools. And Jackie Edelstein. She is a local volunteer with some interesting mask-making projects going on through Facebook. As always, we will post the links that were <clears throat> covered in today's discussion on our Facebook page and on our website, kopn.org, kopn.org. You can also find all episodes of Community Pulse since we began this project on March 20th. Today was, incidentally, the 49th episode of Community Pulse. We will be back tomorrow with Dr. Elizabeth Allman. In the meantime, we would like to tell our audience to stay safe, take all necessary precautions during this pandemic. We wish you a pleasant day and we will speak to you once again tomorrow morning. KOPN, your community radio station, listener supported and volunteer operated 89.5 FM.